Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time or have been with us part of the way or all of the way through this book in Ephesians, um, we're just going to trust that what the, what the Lord's word has for you is for what you need today. We're going to be in the Word, so if you do need um, a Bible, I advise you to get your Bible out, get your Bible app out. We're going to be reading the Word today. There's not going to be any scripture on the screens. That means we're going to be engaged. Raise your hand if you need your Bible. These brothers will get one to you, okay? Last week, Tyler uh, took us through the latter part of chapter 4, where Paul was guiding uh, the church in Ephesus through the clear distinction of what it meant to keep our old self and to live under that understanding, and then what it means to put on the new self, and that is now available to, that was available to them and now available to us through Christ Jesus. And so today we're going to be in chapter 5, all right? We will be looking at what it means to walk in love, all right? Now at this point in the letter, church, Paul is most definitely on a roll. He is fully engaged in the vibe of what he wants. Know what he needs the Ephesians to understand about who they are and how they should be living. And he's not making educated guesses. He knows these people. And he also knows the ones who've heard the truth and have chosen instead to stand against it. So please keep that context in mind as we journey together today, all right? So we're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to read from verses 1 through 21. You're going to think, man, that is a big old chunk. You, you, you're doggone right it is. And so you get to blame Pastor Scott for that, but here we go. And I love you, Scott. All right, starting verse 1. An online campus, it's good to see you today. Get your Bibles out. Let's do this. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfaithful and fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, if you're looking at your notes, for my note takers here, you're going to see that we've got some work to do today. For those of you who don't take notes, you're fine. But please, what we walk through today, don't blame the messenger, okay? But give attention to the Holy Spirit for what he wants you to see and more importantly, what he wants you to do. We're going to be looking at two things. Back to my note takers. We're going to be looking at two things that Paul wants us to understand of what it means to walk in love and what does it mean to not walk in love. So as you fill out your notes, and this is online campus too, as you fill out your notes, you will be filling out two sections at a time. I feel like a professor right now. All right. And the first two sections are who are we called to be and what does that look like, all right? So you're going to be on the front page of your notes. You're going to start at the top of each section. You're going to walk your way through it. Something tells me you're going to get it. All right, here we go. Paul starts with telling us that we are to be imitators of God. And what does that look like? It means to walk in love. Now, he doesn't say recreate God or come up with your own version of him. He simply says to imitate him by walking in love. Walking in his steadfast love. As David said in Psalm 25, he said, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. By walking in his unfailing love, like David said in Psalm 143, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. So we're called to walk it out, church, because when you walk, you're going somewhere. And what Paul is showing us is that this is how to do it. And he says that, we're, we're, uh, that we are called to be beloved children. Children who do what? Well, they walk as Christ. So if you had some confusion on the imitating God part and what that meant, he clears it up for you by telling you, you children who are loved, do what Christ did the way he did it. And just consider the last words that Christ had for his disciples before he ascended to heaven. He said, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. This was in Matthew 28. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Those were Jesus' words. So do it the way Christ did it. Keep it simple. In verse 3, Paul says, that we are saints. He doesn't say we are the saints. We are saints. Saints meaning holy ones, set apart. And, and, and what does that look like? It looks like being thankful, okay? That's what it, that's what it means. One of, those, one of the things about being a holy is you're thankful. There was a brother that used to worship with us here. I haven't seen him for a while. I'm trusting that the Lord has taken care of him. His name is Dick Vara. And Dick, if you are watching us this morning, I miss you, brother. All right? So you know what I'm getting ready to say. Every morning I see him at the 9 o'clock, he would come. And I'd see him. And I'd ask him, brother, 
How are you doing today? Sometimes the answer he would give would be quick, but then there were times he would pause. And when he would pause, I knew he was processing. He was processing how maybe it was how the week went. Maybe it was how yesterday went. Maybe it was how things went when he got up that morning. But he would always look at me and say, richly blessed, brother. Richly blessed. And I always appreciated that because of the genuineness of him saying it. Because he was taking into context. Here's what's going on in my, right, my life right now, Damien. But in, in the context of Jesus Christ and what he has given me and blessed me with, I am richly blessed. And you could just feel the thankfulness just all over him. And that brother discipled me in what it meant to be thankful. In verse 8, Paul calls us to be children of light. For the fruit of that light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then we're going to skip down to verse 18. And he calls us to be worshipers. Now, for those of you who pay attention to scripture, you can look at that and say, bruh, that's not what it says. But I tell you what, let, let's take a look at verses 18 and 19. Okay, so if you want to read this with me. Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I'm going to sneak into verse 20. He says, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, isn't that what we just did? And don't we call that worship? Giving thanks? Isn't that part of our worship? So, church, this is called being spirit-filled. Now, I know some of you are going to hear that word, and you're going to get that phrase, and you're going to go, all right, hang on, Damien. So, I tell you what, let's just get this all cleared up here this morning, all right? If you always wondered what it meant to be spirit-filled, here it is. Being spirit-filled is this. Being filled with the Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He puts a comma and he adds this other thing called submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why would Paul stick submitting on to singing and, and being, 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 uh, being in prayer? It's because this isn't just a Sunday morning thing he's talking about. He's talking about a lifestyle, okay? See, that Greek word for submitting, some of you might remember this, is the word hypotasso. And if that word sounds familiar, it's because the definition of that is to subject or to subordinate or to place oneself under another. And when you hear that, if that makes you as uncomfortable as it did a couple of months ago when I mentioned that, that's good. That's good because that means you're still struggling with this. If you heard that and just went, oh, whatever, oh, we got some work to do. Because to submit to each other requires effort. It requires intentionality. It requires purpose. So please remember what Jesus told us in Luke 22. When he said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to 
serve. So if Christ can come here, serve us by being a ransom for many, which is the rest of that verse, we can submit to one another. Amen? Yeah, I knew that was coming. Amen? Boy, it didn't get much better. All right, I'm going to move on. Move on. So that is who it is that we're called to be and what that looks like. Now we're going to shift to the back side of the notes, okay? And now you're going to see we're going to step into who it is we're called not to be and what does that look like. And we're going to spend a little time here. So if we get done with this, I don't want you to say, man, Damien, you spent a lot of time on all this stuff we're not supposed to be doing. I didn't write this. Paul did, okay? All right. So, all right, here we go. First, Paul tells us not to be filthy, foolish, or crude. He just jumps right in, in verse 4. And who, as a follower of Jesus, actually wants to be any of those things? But he specifically is speaking to our speech, our vocabulary, our talk, our joking. And, you know, what does that look like? It looks like being foul-mouthed is what it is. Now, some of you are going to hear that phrase this morning and go, oh, Damien, that's kind of prudish right there, foul-mouthed. What, what, is, what is that? When was the last time somebody said that? And listen, there might be someone who is here this morning, and you might be sitting saying, I have no idea what it means to be foul-mouthed. Because of the culture where you grew up, how you guys spoke to each other in the family, And I want you to understand that you deserve the grace-filled space to just walk that out with us as your church, okay? But hey, let's walk it out. Let's not keep that under wraps someplace. Let's talk about this, all right? Now, perhaps the word vulgar might be something that might be a little more relatable, okay? Like when you use profanity or when you speak to another person's ethnicity or to the bodies that the Lord gave our sisters or to someone who doesn't vote like you or to someone where English is not their language of origin. And after you're done speaking either to those things or about those people, they are demeaned, reduced, dismissed, Paul says, there is no place for these things coming out of our mouths. And if I can just go ahead and just stay in this uncomfortable space for just a moment, and it's going to get worse, please be careful of how you position yourself to listening to these things. Because there's one constant about filthy, foolish, and crude words. They require an audience, okay? All right, and here we go. Next, he tells us not to be sexually unclean or coveters. Now, in today's culture, what it means to be sexually unclean can just feel like a minefield. And you definitely don't want to go running off into this because someone might be ready to just honestly blow you up. They've got their defenses all ready to go, and those defenses quickly shift to offenses, and you're just trying to find some place to hide and be safe. 
And church, what does this look like, this sexually unclean thing? What does this look like? All right. Well, we choose to simply uh, and faithfully understand what we see in Genesis chapter 3, that anything outside of God's design for sexual relations is unclean. All right? Now, if there is anyone here who, now that I have said that, might be saying, whew, I'm glad Damien said that. You don't get off the hook with that. And here's why. Because Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 5, and he is speaking to his own people, and he says to them something that I think is so important for us today. He says, starting in verse 43, you have heard it said, that's always the setup, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? For even the tax collectors do the same. So what am I saying? For all those that you might know who are sexually unclean, we're called not to be that. But we're not called to not love them. As a matter of fact, Jesus just said, that's when the real love starts. Oh, and this, this thing about being a coveter, okay, that results in idolatry. And, and, and Paul put that out there because being covetous is not something we talk about a whole lot. Um, it's because, see, to covet is to want something or someone to the point where we would do anything to get it. And it takes up so much space in our thoughts, in our decisions, and in our actions that it eventually becomes an idol. Because whether we're willing to admit it or not, at that point, we've actually entered into the worship of that thing or that person. And before we leave this part, Paul makes a very, very strong statement in verse 5. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, why would Paul say that? Because that is a really powerful statement. Well, see, Paul would say this because he was aware of the total audience that his letter would address. See, he knew that there were those who were interpreting the freedom that we have through Christ from the law of sin and death. And that's the law of Moses. That's the old covenant. And they talked about that in Romans chapter 6. But he understood that there's people who would interpret that freedom as being full permission to continue sinning as much as they liked. But it is only by forsaking sin and through true repentance is the way open by faith to the inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. You see, church, if there's no repentance and there's no forsaking of sin, then how in the world are you supposed to have a path to an inheritance with, with Jesus Christ? So you see, if we say and we speak the name of Jesus, we show up here at church every Sunday, we take communion, we even give. 
but there's been no forsaking of sin. And there's been no repentance. So in other words, what you're doing, you think is just absolutely fine. It is only when, because this is our part, and I think sometimes we miss this a little bit. See, Jesus came and did his part by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, being raised from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. That was his part. Our part is to step up and say, I am a sinner. And these sins, I need to stop doing them because they're wrong in the sight of God. And because I have chosen Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior, and I want to turn my life over to him. Now, in this space right now, as you hear this, if this is uncomfortable, once again, I say good. Because that means we are continuing to struggle with what it is that Jesus calls us to, what it is that Paul speaks to. And if you want to know what the, what the struggle of repentance looks like, and that constant thing, read Romans chapter 7. Read what Paul says. He really puts himself out there. But read it. Because when you get to Romans chapter 8 and he says, there is now therefore no condemnation for Christ Jesus. Back up to what he said in verse 7. And if you identify with that space, spend some time with the Lord in that. All right, let me move on. Now we get to a section. And this is a really unique phrase. Paul says, don't be this, sons of disobedience. Okay? Now, that phrase almost sounds like a new drama series that you find on Hulu that's going to be coming out. But he is very, very clear about who these individuals are. He says in he says that they are deceivers. In verse 8, he says they are darkness. And in verse 11, he says they, that their works are unfruitful. Now, how are they deceitful? They're deceitful through empty words. We just kind of talked about that. Lord, I believe in you. Oh, good to see you, brothers and sisters. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. But nothing has changed in your life. Their words are empty. And he says that they don't walk in darkness. He says that they are darkness. And in the darkness, their works are identified, but eventually proven to be without fruit. But as children of life, hear, hear, hear this. This is something that was one of those new to me's that popped out. He said, but as children of life, we are actually called to expose them. Not the sons of disobedience, but their works. Which is interesting because I don't know how you expose somebody's works without exposing them. But I love what he continues on to say. He says, look, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Hallelujah. Now in verse 17, Paul tells us not to be foolish. He says, look, don't be a fool. Who wants to be a fool? And how is it that he describes what a fool looks like? They are, in verse 15, unwise. In verse 16, they're time wasters. And in verse 17, they are willfully ignorant. 
All right, let's go through these one at a time. See, being unwise is pretty easy to understand because it's just not having the wisdom you need to walk in love, to walk as Christ. But do you know how you get wisdom? It is so beautifully simple. In James chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle James writes this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given, not it might, it will be given to you. Now, church, being a time waster, all right, I have to confess that this was a tough space for me because I do not maximize my time. I don't. I know I'm the only person here in the room that does this. That's okay. But this reference here made me sit and it made me pause because I don't want to be considered a fool. And yet, I don't maximize my time. Even though Paul says very clearly that these days are evil. And for us today, we know that these days are clearly evil. Just look at what's happening in Ukraine right now. And why would I waste my time? The time given to me by God to share the gospel of Jesus, to share the love of Jesus, to share the forgiveness of Jesus, to share the reconciliation of Jesus. Why would I waste my time not sharing that with those that the Lord has placed in front of me? And listen, as we step into this being ignorant thing, being ignorant is nothing that anyone is honestly proud of. As a matter of fact, most of us bristle at the idea of being referred to as ignorant. You're like somebody saying, well, hey, man, you're just going to have to hold on. Go easy on him. He's ignorant. And that's whether it's true or not. If you're the person being said about that, you're going to go, yeah, hold on. Don't, don't call me that. Don't, don't, don't do that. You know, I can remember only one time in my life that I was ever thankful for being ignorant. I was about eight or nine years old, and I did something, and I don't even remember what the thing was, but whatever it was, my father came home, and he was ready to tear my behind up, okay? But my mother said, well, hold on. Hold on, why, why are you mad at him? Because that boy went in, and I don't even remember what it was I did. And she said, well, wait a minute. Did he know that he wasn't supposed to do that? Well, he should have known better. She goes, no, 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 no. You're not going to whoop him because he didn't know. And I listened to my mother, who was basically my, my self-appointed defendant right there. I mean, she, she was, I was like, come on, mama. Come on, go, mama, go. Because <laughs> I knew my behind was in the balance right here. And I didn't get that whooping because I, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. But in that moment, not knowing didn't seem to be good enough for my dad. But that was the only time in my life I was ever ignorant and glad I was. <laughs> Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, Paul states pretty clearly back in verse 10 that we're to pursue what the will of the Lord is. And then he says here that knowing the will of the Lord is very important. And how do you know his will? Here are the three ways that I have discerned. 
I didn't read this, I didn't get this from any theologian. These are the three ways that I've discerned that you can begin to understand the will of the Lord. One is pray. Two is get into God's word. Three is godly counsel. And please notice I didn't say good counsel. Okay, good counsel can simply be reduced to this. As the one receiving it, if you liked it, it was good. If you didn't like it, well, that was bad. Because see, here's what godly counsel is going to do. Godly counsel is always going to lead you back to God, Jesus, his Holy Spirit, and his word. And that is where we need to be. So church, if I can encourage you, if you're pursuing these things to understand God's will, I believe that ignorance is not going to be in your future. But if you choose not to do these things, knowing full well that you should be, and that's we, I'm pointing back to myself, it leaves us in that category of being willfully, willfully ignorant. We're choosing not to know. So church, if you want to know what the Lord's will is, get on your knees. If you want to know what the will of the Lord is, get in his word. If you want to know what the will of the Lord is, get into some godly counsel. And that's the beautiful thing about the church because in here there is godly counsel available to you. And finally, don't be a drunkard. I can't even remember the last time I used the word drunkard. I don't think I ever have used the word drunkard. But I had to come up with something, okay? Um, because he says that's just simply debauchery. And when we hear that word, that conjures up some images for us. Boy, debauchery, that, isn't that what was going down in Rome with the, the Caesars who were just out of control and just doing all kinds of things? But Paul specifically says, don't get drunk with wine. And he doesn't say don't drink wine. He, he, he doesn't say don't enjoy wine. The fruit of the vine is a gift from God. Remember, he is creator and we are creation. And he gave us wine. I know, just, just for reference, remember Jesus turned water into that stuff. At a wedding, it was to be celebrated. But with, as with everything that God gives us, there are excessive indulgences. In other words, we go over the top. Because how much is too much? How much is enough? It, it's, church, we've got to be on guard with this. And can I ask you something? Has anyone ever known a good drunk? Some of us might be aware of somebody who was a funny drunk. In other words, when they drank too much, they told good jokes and they were just silly and you could laugh at them. But some of us have known mean drunks. Violent drunks. I think it's safe for us to say that there is no such thing as a good drunk. And I want to go ahead and affirm this morning for all our brothers and sisters who have been on the path of being clean and sober, whether it has been for two days, for two weeks, two months, two years, 20 years. God bless you. And I want you to know that as your church, we want to be the safest and the most encouraging space for you as you have either begun your journey or you continue on it. We want to be, want, we want to be your biggest fans. And we want you to know we love you. 
and we're pulling for you and we're right there with you to encourage you. Okay? All right. So church, we're going to go ahead and just wrap this up with this. Some of the things that Paul addresses here has made us uncomfortable today. Why? Because as you heard some of the things that we're called to be, your heart was gladdened. But as you heard some of the things that we were called not to be, you knew that you identified with those right when it happened. And you began a journey right there in that moment. I, this is what I believe. And you might be saying, a journey where, Damien? Okay. If we go back in history, not too far back, in World War II, there was this little itty-bitty tiny country called Switzerland. And it sat right in the middle of big bad Germany and Italy and occupied France. And they had no chance of standing up and fighting against anybody. And they knew it. So they made a business decision. They basically told everybody, if you have gold, if you have treasures, if you have art, if you have anything that contributes to wealth, you can bring it here to us. We will go ahead and hang on to it for you, and we will not ask where you got it from. They began to introduce this whole notion of being neutral. They're not going to ask any questions. They're not going to get into your business. You want to bring it here. You want to drop it off at us. We're not into that part. And some of us today, when you've heard some of these things that we've been called not to do, you went off running looking for your spiritual Switzerland. Church, can I encourage you to embrace this? There is no such thing as a spiritual neutral place. There is no spiritual Switzerland. We are called to walk as Christ. We are called to walk in love. 24-7. If he's our Lord 24-7, then we know how long and how much it is we are to engage what we have been called to do. And finally, if you find yourself reverting back to your old self, your old self that Paul talked about that Tyler walked us through in chapter 4, that person we're not called to be, can I encourage you to do this? Do not walk. Run to Jesus. Run to him. And if you're wondering what that looks like, church, get into a real Christ-centered relationship with somebody and walk with them. If you've been wondering what this relational discipleship thing is, this is what it is. Find somebody. Find a group of people. Invest in them as you all begin to pursue. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we're not called to do any of this by ourselves. So church, I want to invite you to stand with us because we enter into a time of worship. You know that singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God. Allowing that spirit that is filled within us to move through us in our worship, praying that it's moving more to bringing us to a place where these words, as we get ready to sing them, mean something different. These words would move us to a place of coming and surrendering to the Lord today.
Church, sometimes we get a little older and we get a little stuck. Sometimes we feel like we look in the mirror because I love the fact that our young adults are here with us this morning. But there is nothing more powerful than when they get to see us on our knees before the Lord. See, they're looking for example. They're looking for somebody to go first who's been doing this for a little while and has claimed Jesus Christ as their Lord long enough, who says we walk in love and we walk as Christ. What does that look like on the day-to-day? So maybe this morning is the morning where we can come and take advantage of this space this morning. And if you just need to come and heal, come and, excuse me, come and kneel in a place of just simple repentance to just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you help me get this right? Because I don't want to sin anymore in these ways. And I want to turn my life over to you. Say, Lord, I have your way in me.